Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be reading that passage in just a moment. Really good to be together with you this morning. As we said last Sunday morning, it is good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here today and always when we come together to honor the God of heaven and encourage one another in our faith. If you're visiting with us, we're very thankful that you can join with us in these activities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about the power that Christians have to struggle and fight and win against the forces of the devil. For he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul is talking about spiritual weapons that Christians possess to cast down strongholds and every high thing exalted against God and His things. And so we're going to be talking this morning about destroying Satan's strongholds. And we want to begin with the assurance that we have the weapons to do this. They are provided for us by God. But you might ask, what is a stronghold anyway? Well, a stronghold is a place that has been fortified so as to protect against attack. It is, if you will, a a war tower or a a mighty refuge or you might think of a, a strong fortified castle. It is a defensive structure. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that is used to describe it is mizgab, and that properly referred to uh, a defense, a high tower, a refuge. Uh, The word itself is often just translated in the Old Testament. In the King James Version, it will be translated by the word defense. So Satan has strongholds. And some of these strongholds are within our minds. For he has set up camp, so to speak, and built a fortified tower, and we begin to think like he wants us to think. We begin to behave as he wants us to behave because he has gotten inside of us. There are really two kinds of strongholds that we can have in our minds. The first of them is a stronghold of God. God, if he is within us, and if we allow him to structure our thinking in our minds, God is the greatest stronghold of all. The Lord is a stronghold, Psalm 9 and verse 9 says. He's a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. That's the English Standard Version. In Psalm 144 and verse 2, The Lord is my goodness and my fortress, my high tower. That word there means stronghold, same word. He's my high tower, my deliverer, my shield. And he in whom I trust, who subdues my uh, my people under me. The New English translation there says, He is the God who loves me and is my stronghold, my refuge, my defense, my shield, and the one in whom I take shelter. When we get to the end of this lesson, we're going to to see that God gives us the power to guard and protect our minds from Satan. From having Satan gain control. And there are things that we can do to make sure that God and His strongholds are firmly set up within our minds and hearts. But there's a second kind of stronghold 
one that often is found in humans and far too often found even among God's people. This is the kind of stronghold that Paul is talking about. We have the weapons to take down. As we talk through this lesson this morning, I think most of us in this room are going to see that there are patterns of thinking that we have in our heads that are not what God wants them to be. And those patterns of thinking are strongholds of Satan. Don't say to yourself, well, that's just the way I think. I know I shouldn't think that way, but that's just the way I think. Don't say to yourself, well, this is the way I do things. It's just the way I've always been. This is the way I perceive it. This is a habit of mine I can't give up. Because the weapons of God are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, as Paul is talking about renewing our minds and renewing our lives, giving up old behaviors and thoughts and renewing them with uh, things that God would have us to do. He says in the midst of all of that, he says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. We must not allow the devil to set up camp in our minds and build a permanent structure. You know, we must not give him, as somebody has said, an inch or he'll be a ruler. <laughs> you give him an inch and he'll be a ruler. So what kind of strongholds do we have set up in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives? Do you even recognize the kinds of strongholds that are within you? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, the Apostle there describes the difference between a person who is living in the flesh and a person who is living in the Spirit. And he's warning the Romans that there are those who are Christians and should be children of God, but who are not living according to the Spirit. It's kind of what that whole text is describing. But he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. He's talking about two different kinds of people. One kind of person who lives according to the flesh, and he minds fleshly things, and his mind is controlled by fleshly things. Here's a person in whom Satan has built probably numerous strongholds. He is living according to the flesh. This is how he operates. And he's not going to be pleasing to God. The way he thinks, the way he lives, the choices that he makes are not going to be pleasing to God. He lives according to the flesh. He cannot be subject to the law of God, according to what Paul said right there. But then you have those who are living according to the Spirit. Later on in that context, Paul will say they are led by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. These are the ones whose minds God controls and who are living for Him and pleasing Him. When we think about the strongholds of Satan, these 
seemingly unassailable uh, ways of thinking, ways of processing that we have set up in our minds, or that Satan, maybe I should say, has set up in our minds. I want you to know that strongholds can be overtaken. They can be destroyed. Let's start by thinking about uh, some physical strongholds. Go back to the book of 2 Samuel. We'll be looking here at a time when David was increasing his power and strength and um, reigning over all of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, In verse 6, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Thinking, David cannot come in here. So the Jebusites, the Jebusites are thinking, uh, this, is a, this is a fortified place. There's no way this guy is coming in here. In, in fact, if we just had lame and blind people manning the, the fort, they could repel David because this place is unassailable. You, you shall not come in here. And the text says, nevertheless, never, nevertheless, I, I just love that word. I just want to tell you, nevertheless. You can't do something. This can't happen. Nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless. Nevertheless, what happened? David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Well, yeah, he names it after himself. David said on that day, whoever climbs up the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. He's uh, trash talking back a little bit there. He shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David says, we're going to take this. I've got a plan to take it. There's a water shaft that goes right into that stronghold. We can just go up the water shaft and take it. Who's going to do it? You'll be the captain. And that's what they did. And they took it, apparently, rather handily against people who thought that it could never be taken. Look what happens next. David dwelt in the stronghold, verse 9, and called it the city of David. And David built all around him the millow inward. And David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. When God is with us. We can take it down. Whatever it is that Satan has erected, whatever it is that he is defending within us, when God is with us, as God is with David, the stronghold can be taken down. The Babylonians had a similar concept about their city, which they thought was impenetrable. Uh, read about what God says about that in Jeremiah chapter 51. Of course, the Babylonians had uh, conquered much of the then known world, including Judea and Jerusalem. They'd wiped Jerusalem out. And as God tells uh, Jeremiah this in Jeremiah 51, though Babylon were to mount up to heaven, it wouldn't matter how strong Babylon is, if it was the greatest kingdom on earth that ever was, if it would had, had built itself all the way up to the heavens, though Babylon were to mount up to heaven, and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me plunderers would come to her, says the Lord. 
What God is saying there is it doesn't matter how tall, strong, big your, your stronghold is. God can take it down. Whatever it is. There's nothing that's too strong a defense. It's too strong a tower for God to take down. Satan's strongholds then can be defeated. His spiritual and thought strongholds within us can be defeated in this same way by the power of God. May I say to you that the power of God's Word which created this world is surely powerful enough to take anything in this world out. Peter makes that argument in 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice what's said in Hebrews chapter 4 about the power of God's Word. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want to tell you that God's Word, His sword, can go through every bit of every human being. And if there is something that needs to be excised and taken out or taken down, God's Word can do that. That is the power of God's Word. It is powerful. It can cut between joints and marrow. Is a discerner. That is a distinguisher between the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, it can go right between them. You might say to yourself, well, you know, I've, I've got this inclination in my heart and it's you know, counter to this inclination in my heart and I don't know which way to go and I've got these struggles within. God can slice all of that to pieces through His Word. And it is His Word then that becomes critical when we think about getting Satan out of our minds and out of our hearts. The strongholds of doubt are destroyed by faith that comes from God's Word. Satan wants us to doubt ourselves and in God's power, doesn't He? He wants us to think we can't do it. He wants us to think God can't do it. There's a story I'm going to share with you from a, a book that I've cherished over the years. A lot of people who try to read it don't like it. It's called The Great Divorce. It was written by C.S. Lewis. It's one of his lesser known works. It is if you will, a description between the, about the difference between heaven and hell and the difference between the people that go to heaven and the people that go to hell. So as Lewis is describing this world in which a lot of people are, are dwelling you know, completely in darkness, overwhelmed by Satan, not even really realizing how bad their lives are. And some of them then want to take a trip on a bus, if you will, to a heavenly land where things are supposed to be so much better. And as they go on this trip, many of them find they don't really want to go. They're just kind of happy with their rotten lives the way they are. And they come to this bright, shining land, the outskirts of heaven itself, if you will, and there are various people that are encountered, and they find, the people do, that when they come to this land that is heavenly, they themselves appear to be ghosts because there's no substance to them. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You know, we imagine that if heavenly beings came to this world, they might appear to be like ghosts, right? But when beings who are earthbound 
try to go to heaven, they might appear to be like ghosts. So uh, in one part in the story, there's a man who appears in this realm and he is looks like a ghost. He's you know, very vaporous. There's not much to him. He's vacuous. And, and there is, sitting on his shoulder, a red lizard. And it is whispering in his ear all of the time. And the lizard represents lust and evil desire. And it's what's turned the man into a ghost. But it's telling him that he's a real man. And as we're introduced to this scene, there's an angel that's talking to this man. And the man wants to leave. He wants to go back to earth. And the angel says, you're leaving so soon. He says, yes, I I need to go. I can't stay here any longer. He said, I wanted to stay here, but but this chap, and he points to the lizard that's whispering in his ear, that this chap won't leave me alone. He won't be quiet. And so it's just not going to work out for me. And the angel says to him, would you like me to get rid of the lizard? And, and the man says, well, that would be nice. And the angel says, well, can I kill it? He says, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. You didn't say anything about killing it at first. Surely we can come up with something else. Maybe we can just keep it quiet for a while. Maybe we can get it to behave. Maybe this red lizard of lust, it'll, it, I can train it to be okay here. And the lizard said, no, that won't work. Can I kill it? And the man gets angry. And he said, look, you just said you were going to get rid of the lizard. You didn't say anything about killing it at first. This is a terrible thing to think about. I I need this. May I kill it? And the conversation goes on back and forth like this with the man coming up with all kinds of excuses and ways that he can still live with the lizard and tolerate the lizard and all of this. And every time... The angel responds with, can I kill the lizard? Finally, the man says, okay, go ahead and do it. Kill it. And the angel of God takes the lizard as it bites and snarls, squeezes it, kills it, and throws it off dead. And suddenly, the man who was a ghost transforms into a real man. A heavenly man. And strangely, the lizard also transforms into a beautiful white stallion. I'd like to read to you the end of this. Unexpectedly, the lizard begins to change shape and size and slowly morphs from a scaly red lizard into a silvery white stallion. When the newly made man sees the white stallion, he hops on its back and heads off toward the mountains of heaven. And moving quickly, they vanish bright themselves into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. An observer says, What is a lizard compared to a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared to the richness and energy of pure and holy desire which will arise when lust has been killed.
fear of lust is keeping you from experiencing the pure and powerful desires that God wants you to have. But you have to let him kill the lust. And you're going to need his help to do it. Satan wants us to doubt ourselves. To doubt that it can be done. To doubt that we could do it. To doubt that God could do it. It reminds me as we go back to Judges chapter 6. In the story of Gideon. In verse 11, you remember the Midianites were oppressing oppressing the Israelites. And an angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which is at Ophrah. Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Here's a coward hiding wheat from the oppressing people. Here's a man who's afraid to deal with reality, it seems. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty men of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Where were all of his miracles which our fathers told us about? Here's a man who's full of doubt. If the Lord is with us, if. If the Lord is with us. He does not believe that the Lord is with him. He does not believe that the Lord, if He is with him, is powerful enough to throw off the Midianites. If the Lord is with us. We can't get rid of the Midianites. All we can do is cower. All we can do is hide as we thresh the wheat. If the Lord is with us. Why have all these things happened? Why is very often a question of doubt, isn't it? Why, oh why? It says that we doubt. It is a seed that Satan would like to plant in our minds when it comes to so many things. Why did this happen? Why did this bad thing happen? Why me? Oh, why me? How many times have we asked ourselves that? All of that. That's a stronghold of Satan. It's a stronghold of doubt. And Gideon is living in it. The angel, like the angel in the story, fictitious story that I just told you about, is having none of it. He's having none of it. The Lord turned to him and said, verse 16, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? There's the key. God says you can do this and He will be with you. Have I not sent you? He said, Gideon still doubting, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. I can't do this. I can't throw off this oppression. Again, just like the man in the story I just read. I might like to. I I don't want the Midianites to be here. I don't want sin to be here. I don't want lust to be here. I don't want to think like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm a nobody. I have no strength. And the Lord said to him in verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And the rest is history. Faith comes by hearing God's Word. And faith is the key to tearing down the strongholds of Satan. They're going to be torn down because you believe in God. Because you believe what He's told you. 
because you believe that you can do it, because He said you can do it, because you believe that you can do it, because He's going to be with you in doing it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we, as we begin to tear down these strongholds of Satan, what it's going to take is, it's going to take ourselves, it's going to require ourselves to have faith and avail ourselves of God's Word. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil. And all of you know the story, and most of you can remember how he answered every temptation. He answered every temptation with a scripture. The Son of God, in defeating Satan, and getting Satan, and not allowing Satan to get into his mind <laughs> to begin with, he defeated him every time with scripture. Turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. Quoting scripture. Jesus says. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, Satan says. Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quoting Scripture. Satan says, worship me. And I'll give you everything. He's telling us that every day, by the way. Just worship me and I'll give you everything. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Scripture answers temptation. Scripture tear down, tears down the strongholds, and in this case, prevents the strongholds from even being built to begin with. But I want to tell you something. If you think of Satan as the dragon or the lion, both of which he's depicted as in Scripture, you cannot defeat the dragon. You cannot defeat the lion without your sword. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you try to defeat Satan without that, it's not happening. If you try to tear down a stronghold and assail a stronghold without the sword of the Spirit, it's not happening. There's God's power for you. There's God's weapon that He has supplied. Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. For every evil fortress within us, there is a, a powerful way to bring it down using Scripture. Satan gets in people's minds and puts them into cycles of depression. I am not necessarily a believer that all depression is under the person's control who is depressed. I understand that there are things that go on within us that uh, have to do with uh, things of a physical and medical nature. But I will say this, there's a lot more there's a lot more depression that can be controlled and taken down than we imagine. And as someone who has suffered with depression periodically in my life that was very severe, I can tell you for sure it's not always the chemicals in your brain. It's not always your genetics. 
as often as not, not always, but as often as not, it's your faith in God. And you can take it down. That's a whole other sermon or series of sermons, I realize. But for the moment, Psalm 42 and verse 5 gives us hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted, disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. God will be with you. He will help you. And He can lift you up. If you struggle with the stronghold of rejection, you feel nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Go, guess I'll go out and eat some worms, as the old song used to say. You know, I just no, I'm, I'm just rejected by everybody. I don't have any friends. Uh, I have literally been rejected by people. I think of the woman at the well, and we're reading a little bit into between the lines, you might say, but I think it's fair to say here is a woman who had had five husbands. She's living with a man who's not her husband. She comes to draw water in the middle of the day, which is not a time village women would normally go to draw their water. She's by herself, which again is really rare in villages, even still today, where they have to go together, the women, to draw water. She's with nobody. I believe she'd probably experience some rejection. You know, even a woman today who had would lower herself to that degree of immorality, would not be liked by a lot of people. But Jesus lifts her up. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you're facing or struggling with the stronghold of fear, and many of us are, Many of us are afraid of so many things and our news media makes sure that we're afraid of something almost every day. We're afraid of success sometimes. Sometimes we're afraid of trying. Sometimes we're afraid of what will happen if. We're afraid of what will people say. We're afraid of what will people think. We're afraid to live out our dreams. We're afraid of dreaming our dreams. We're afraid of becoming what God said that we can become. We're just so afraid. But God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is faith in God's Word and in the power of God through which we can tear down these towers of Satan. And we can take away and take down the tower of lust as well, as I've already indicated. If you're struggling with the stronghold of lust, maybe through pornography or other kinds of problems, surround it with the promise of this, that Jesus is the answer. In Galatians chapter 5, as Paul there describes, you know, the difference between someone who lives uh, in the flesh and someone who lives in the Spirit. He says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. Crucified. You can, you can kill that lust. You can kill those passions and desires just like the angel killed the lizard on the man's shoulder. With God's help, you can destroy it. But you have to let God help you. How can, how can Satan's strongholds then be taken down? We need to decide we're going to resist the devil in faith. If he's gotten in our minds, if he's built permanent residence in our heads, we have to decide we're going to storm the castle. We have to decide we're going to take it down with the help of God and through faith. The Bible promises this in James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit to God. Give your life to God. Be under the direction and the authority of God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can chase him out of your head if you'll submit to God and give him the reign and the rule of your life. Believe that once the enemy sees that he's surrounded by humble submission, by praise, by the word of God, and by firm resistance, he will quickly leave. It won't be as hard as you think. God will help you. Casting down these strongholds. Admit your need. Recognize that Satan's in your head. That the thoughts that you're thinking, that the ways that you're behaving, that your way of processing life in one way or another is not what God wants you to do. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge, acknowledge that. You see, it's one thing to want to be made well. It's one thing to want to have a pure heart and a pure mind. But it's another thing to acknowledge what's wrong with your heart and what's wrong with your mind. It's another thing to actually seek healing. In John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. You know what the first question he asks him is? Do you want to be made well? <laughs> Do you want to be... You see, uh, he's been hopping in this uh, pool thinking that that would heal him. He's been doing all sorts of things. Do you want to be made well? You may have tried a lot of things to rid yourself of the tower of Satan that's in your head. But Jesus wants to know this morning, do you want to be made well? He's the great physician. The power is His. David understood Psalm 51 and verse 3. I acknowledged my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Here's what I've got, God. Here's what I've done. In David's case, I've sinned with Bathsheba. I killed a man who was an honorable man. I lied about the whole deal. My transgressions are ever before me. I see that what Satan has done in my life. I see how wrong I was. The first thing that David did when Nathan explains you know, who he was and what he does, I've sinned. I want to take care of this right now. Confess it and turn away from it. 1 John 1 and verse 9, of course, says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
just admit it. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself first, then admit it to God. And turn away from it. Believe in God's Word. Abide in God's Word. Trust God's Word. This is where your faith comes in. This is how you build faith. This is how you build power to live a life that is pleasing to God and not so pleasing to Satan. Jesus told the Jews who believed in Him, John chapter 8, verse 31, Abide in My Word. Abide in it. Live in it. Then you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth will make you free. The the Jews make an argument here with Jesus. What do you mean we need to be made free? We've never been in bondage to anyone, which is the most ludicrous thing probably anybody has ever said in the history of humanity. They'd been in bondage to everyone, and they were in bondage besides being in bondage to the Romans, uh, the Greeks before them, who knows before them, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, you name it, the Egyptians. They'd been in bondage to everybody, but spiritually, they were in bondage to sin right then and there. And Jesus is at pains to explain that to them. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus says, I can set you free. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Admit your need. Confess your sin. Believe in and abide in God's Word. Pray and focus your mind. Your mind is under your control. You can give it, control of it, to one of two individuals, to Satan or to God. This is what we're talking about. You won't be able to keep it to yourself. It's going to go either to Satan or God. Who will have control of your mind? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we go to God, we take it to God, whatever it is, in everything. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're struggling with, we take that to God. We thank Him for what He's doing for us, what He will do for us, what He's done for us. We make our requests known to Him thoroughly. If you say, well, I don't feel like praying right now, you know what you should do? You should begin a prayer to God and confess first thing, God, I don't feel like praying right now. I should. I need you. Tell Him everything. Tell Him everything. All of your troubles. All of your doubts. All of your woes. Everything you're dealing with. In everything, make your request known to God. What's going to happen? The peace of God which passes all understanding, listen to this, listen to this, will guard your hearts and minds. Satan's not getting in there if you're giving everything to God. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, here's the mind of somebody who doesn't have Satan's strongholds in it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, 
whatever things are virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If that's what's going on in our minds, God will be pleased. You will be pleased. Satan will not be pleased. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. My plea for you this morning is whatever foothold or stronghold that Satan has in your mind, in your heart, overcome it. Take it down with the weapons God has provided. Our weapons are mighty for the taking down of strongholds. Weapons of faith. Weapons that God has provided. His word. His strength. Do it now. Don't wait. The longer you leave that stronghold there, the stronger it's going to get. What do you need to confess? What do you need to tear down? If you're a Christian, you have such a need. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.